the Lord has drawn us together and gathered us together into his name to spend, well, not quite 48 hours together so that he may have an opportunity to care for us, to minister to us, to shepherd us, to supply us. And although we are meeting corporately and we represent a number of churches for which the Lord cares very much, he also wants to minister to each one of us. Every believer has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Everyone among the millions and millions on the earth is dear and precious to the Lord. What happens to us, what is going on in our human life, matters to him. I like that expression that Peter uses in chapter 5 of his first epistle. He says, casting all your anxieties on him, for it matters to him concerning you. It matters. Whatever matters to you as a human, as a person, as a student, as a young person, as a not young person, as someone who's healthy, someone who's not healthy, as a new believer, as an experienced believer. Whatever matters to you matters to our heavenly high priest who is bearing us all the time before the face of God, who is interceding for us all, all the time. He's shepherding us, He's administrating over our situation, whether we know it or not, or whether we are understand what's going on. So we are here in a very personal way to render the Lord the best cooperation we can by being open to him in our spirit, which all of us can do, because we all are cleansed by the same precious redeeming blood. Amen. And we all are washed in his life. We all have Christ as the reality of the sin offering and the trespass offering and the burnt offering. We all are redeemed sinners. We all are regenerated children of God. We all have the right to come forward to enjoy our Lord. <clears throat> the general subject is practicing the church life under the heavenly ministry of Christ. And we will actually get into that subject in messages two and four. We need to lay a foundation tonight, as you'll see. But in the book of Hebrews, we have a marvelous view of the ascended Christ carrying out his present heavenly ministry. 
it shows us what he is and what he's doing and enables us, little by little, to experience this personally and corporately. And this vision of Christ's heavenly ministry transmitted through writing, Paul's writing an epistle is directed at the saints in an actual practical church life. The recipients were the Hebrew believers in Jerusalem. And they were suffering a lot, mainly from the religion which they had left behind to believe in the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, to follow him outside of religion and to meet as the church. So the practical goal was to supply them for the church life, to encourage them, to motivate them by showing them mainly two things. One is, as we mentioned, Christ's present ministry on their behalf. The other is the matter of the kingdom reward. That those that respond to Christ's heavenly ministry do not forsake the assembling together, pursue Christ according to the New Testament and its ministry, they will eventually receive the reward of the kingdom. Those that save themselves, that do whatever they can to not have to pay the price to follow the Lord, then they may somehow succeed in this temporarily, but they will not be able on that day to receive a reward. Well, for this weekend, we're not going to consider the reward part, the governmental part, but the heavenly ministry and the church life part. Before we come to tonight's outline, I want to spend uh, maybe 20 minutes on carefully studying some verses with you. But before I do that, I'm going to make one observation, which I think overall is fair. But um, if it's not, I'm willing to be corrected and adjusted. Okay. All born-again, genuine believers have the common faith that 2,000 years ago, God became a human being. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in the womb of a virgin. And Jesus, the Savior, was born. The God-man. Truly God, truly man, one person. All believed that he lived a sinless life. 
and that he died on the cross for our redemption. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He was made sin for us. We all believe that on the third day, he was raised from the dead by the glory of God, never to die again, victorious over the grave. And then according to Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, the genuine believers will affirm he ascended to the heavens. This is part of our common faith. But it is a common faith based upon historic facts, upon what Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago. The vast majority of believers, regardless of their different views, believe that this Christ will come again. He will return, just as the angel told the apostles in Acts 1. This same Jesus that you saw ascending, he will come in the same way that he went. He will descend to the same place. And there is, especially in this country, an industry, I would say, concerning the study of prophecy, books about the rapture, about the second coming, who is the Antichrist, this and that. This indicates the genuine believers, our dear brothers and sisters, wherever they are, we recognize them, receive them, and love them wherever they are. They also believe in a future Christ. But I say this based upon a number of decades of study and observation and experience. Very few believers have a present Christ. But this is what the New Testament emphasizes. In the epistles, especially those written by Paul, we have a powerful emphasis on Christ actually being in us. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Romans 8.10, Christ is in you. 2 Corinthians 13, do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? Ephesians 3, he's making his home in our heart. But not that many books are written, messages are given, that can minister the reality of this indwelling Christ to the children of God. Because honestly, not that many preachers and theologians themselves live in this reality in the mingled spirit. 
I would say even less could respond to this question. That if I could, I would ask to all the theologians, Bible teachers, and ministers in the greater Cleveland area, but not to challenge them, to incite them, but not challenge them. Please tell me what Christ is doing right now. Based upon the New Testament and based on your own life and experience with the Lord, what is he doing now? Are you aware of what he's doing now? Can you tell me, based on the word, all the different statuses he has in his heavenly ministry? Do you know what they are? What verses speak of them? Do you know what they mean? What does it mean to experience him as the great shepherd of the sheep? What does it mean to experience him as the lamb on the throne carrying out God's administration? So, no matter what the general situation may be, we would like to devote this gathering in four sessions to what Christ is doing now and how what he is doing now relates to us actually and practically at any time and every time, anywhere and everywhere, in anything and in everything. Because we will see there is a direct living connection between the throne of the redeeming God in the heavens and us on the earth. And there is a continual transmission taking place from the ascended Christ in his heavenly ministry to the church and to all the members. But we need to see this and to learn how to cooperate with this and then live it out anywhere and everywhere at any time and every time in anything and everything. And that's our human life. Anywhere, everywhere. Anything, everything. Anytime, every time. We're not exempt. The church life, the genuine church life, is lived as an expression in the spirit of what the ascended Christ is doing in his heavenly ministry. Apart from our receiving this ministry, enjoying it, being supplied by it, living it, that's all that's left practically is the earth, the physical realm, and our soul. That is why what prevails is either religious entities 
or just societies. I was just reflecting on an experience I had maybe in around 1965 when I was in transition through the Lord's recovery, although I didn't know it at the time. I attended this very luxurious Presbyterian structure in Detroit in what was then a ritzy neighborhood. And there was some kind of religious service. Then there was a break mainly for so everyone can smoke and, and chat. It was a religious society and a social club. The Lord from the heavens would not look down at that Westminster United Presbyterian Church and say, that's my church. That's the church in Detroit gathered together. He would say, that is something earthly, natural, fleshly, social, human, and religious. The local churches are divinely human organisms. They're human because outwardly everyone there is a redeemed human being. It's divine because we all have been born of God and we actually have the eternal life of God in our spirit and we are children of God and so what is in I believe the Lord's heart and what is in my heart is that we would this won't be a radical revolutionary conference that we would just see a little and advance a little with the realization now fresh light is shining on our pathway and we can all advance from where we are to where the Lord wants us to go next. And we'll all have our faith strengthened that we can do this just as the faithful ones who have preceded us can do this. Now the first message is entitled Seeking the Things Which Are Above. And now I want to take, and I'm aware of the time, there'll be adequate time for your response. I want to take whatever time is needed to study Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. So the first verse says, if you were raised together with Christ, Who is the you? In English, that pronoun can be singular or plural. In an individualistic society like ours, we tend to personalize everything. But the you here is corporate. Paul addressed this epistle to all the saints in Colossae. And we know from the little book of one chapter, Philemon, that, um, 
I'll find it later. My watch slid down there, so uh, I'll get it. Um, in the little book of Philemon, written to a family in Colossae, to Philemon, to his wife Aphia, to his son Archippus. And Paul greeted the three of them and then greeted to the church which was in his house. So the church in Colossae met in the house of Philemon and his wife and son. So all the saints in Colossians 1 are the saints of the church in Colossae. So when Paul says you, he's talking to the church in Colossae. This is important because although the experience we have here is personal, it's not individualistic, it's not independent, it's something we can have normally only with one another. We need one another. Even in getting into these verses, about an hour before the meeting, I asked my wife, will you help me? I need you to help me. And I know she's ready. I said, help me by pray-reading these four verses together. Let's just pray. This is the principle of the body. So Paul says, if you were raised together with Christ, He's pointing to the fact that when Christ was resurrected in the sight of God, we all were in him and with him when he was resurrected. When we believed into the Lord, we received this resurrected Christ into us and then were baptized. And the immersion part, when we're put under the water, that's the burial part. We're recognizing we have died with Christ. We are burying the old man and the old creation. But we never leave someone under the water very long. <laughs> They're brought up. And that rising up from the water signifies we now are a resurrected person. This is the significance of baptism. There's a reality to baptism. We are declaring, we are one with the Christ who was crucified, buried, and resurrected. So Paul is saying, you were raised together with Christ. And the words with Christ are very important. And if we are enlightened concerning them, we'll be, we could be saved years of really fruitless attempts. All genuine spiritual experiences are in Christ and with Christ. They are our participating in Christ's history, we're put into Christ, and his history becomes our experience. So a very simple illustration, let's say my recovery version of the New Testament is Christ. And this card 
represents all of us. The two are separate. But the card, all of us, is put into Christ. Now Christ has certain experiences. The cross. We were in him. Paul says this, of God you are in Christ Jesus. He was buried. We were in him. He was resurrected. We were in him. He ascended and sat down. We were in him. This is what the word says. Because God is not bound by space and time. This is his view. And this is what we need to see from the word. We, have, we are all entering into Christ's experiences which are becoming our experiences. And being raised together with Christ enables us to do something unregenerated human beings can do. We can seek the things which are above. To seek. Okay, this is a command. Paul exercising apostolic authority without being authoritarian. But this is the apostles' teaching. He said, seek the things which are above. Please consider the word seek. This is an active search for something. It's an active pursuit. I remember <clears throat> fulfilling a promise made to my son and his wife to take all of them and the grandchildren to Legoland. So we, we, we had a happy time in Legoland. <clears throat> and then we realized the little girl, Allie's not here. Then a desperate seeking began and shortly she was found. That's seeking. There's something precious, something valuable, that you now desire this. So you seek it. And Paul was living in this realm while he was beaten with, beaten with rods again and again, while he went through shipwreck 1.0, shipwreck. 2.0, at least three shipwrecks before the big one in Acts 27. He said, a day and night I spend in the, the sea. I'm looking forward to talking to him, saying, could you swim? Did you tread water? How, did you hold on to parts of a ship? So he was fully involved in all kinds of activity, but inwardly he was seeking his whole being was seeking the things which are above. Okay, what are these things? The things which are above. Why does he say above? He doesn't here say, say in heaven, but above. Seek the things which are above. So this is not an indictment. It's not a criticism. It's just an observation. 
We ourselves, don't we, need to be learners in this matter. I'm a learner. What does it mean in the course of my daily life to seek the things which are above, to seek them, to start a new day seeking these things? Well, Paul says, seek the things which are above where Christ is. Seating at the right hand of God. So the things which are above are linked to Christ. Where Christ is. And where is Christ? He, he is ascended. He is sitting as a man, a God-man, in the highest position in the universe right now. Lo, a man is now in heaven. That's where he is. Before he ascended, only God as God was in that position. Now the Son of God who became a Son of, the son of Man and was designated Son of God in humanity through resurrection, he ascended and he is sitting at the right hand of God. And there are things associated with him. That is everything pertaining to who and what he is and to what he's doing. There's a lot going on there. And Paul was directing these saints based on their having been resurrected with Christ. Now you're in the position, seek, actively search for something. Don't just seek the earthly things of culture and philosophy and religion. Direct your being. Seek the ascended Christ. Seek what he's doing. Inquire what he's doing. How is he administrating? How is he praying? How is he directing the propagation to the gospel? How is he leading his move on earth? How is he caring for the saints that are going through trials? I'd like to be one with you, Lord. I'd like to join you. I'd like to be your channel. I'm seeking these things. Then in verse 2, Paul says, set your mind on the things which are above. Set our mind. We seek with our spirit and with our heart, but somehow there must be a way where inwardly we can set our mind on what the Lord is doing now. Set your mind on the things which are above, not on the things which are on the earth. <clears throat> okay, now I'm going to illustrate based upon recent history. But please believe me, I'm not touching anything political. Okay. We realized that our young trainees especially those that were American citizens. Many of them were just 
totally perplexed, if not bothered, if not shocked, by the last election and its outcome. And we're very much affected by the various views from various quarters being circulated. And they had feelings. They were saying things. I don't care at all about political opinion. It, the concern was this. They had zero realization that there's a throne in the universe. Zero. Zero. Only the earth. Only the things that are on the earth. Their mind was set on them. And what they took in through the media, through opinions and reactions, the whole earth, their mind is set on these things. But I would say I refused. Through the whole election season, through the event, through the aftermath, my mind is not set there. I voted for the throne. There is a throne. There is a sovereign God. There is a Lord Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen. I'm setting my mind on what he is doing. Amen. Now another thing is going on earth. Right? A naval force has been moved to the Korean Peninsula. A big bomb dropped in Afghanistan. Missiles sent into Syria. Again. Okay, I'm aware of the things on earth. I'd like to set my mind Amen. on the things in the heavens. Lord, you are on the throne. Amen. In Revelation, you are called the ruler of the kings of the earth. You rule this person, that person, this woman, that woman. Otherwise, we're just on the earth, cut off from the heavenly transmission. We're just like the other earthlings. Because our mind is set on the things of the earth, or on a smaller scale, it can just be set on the earthly things that concern us, but Paul is appealing to us, set your mind on the things which are above, not on the things which are on the earth. Then he turns to our experience. This is what happens to you and in you. While you're living the everywhere, anywhere, everything, anything, anytime, every time, human life. Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we died with Christ when he was crucified. We were raised with Christ when he was resurrected. We testified to this when we were baptized. And in the spirit we may live out the reality of our baptism. In the spirit, 
is the reality of our co-crucifixion with Christ. In the spirit is the reality of our being raised with Christ. So because we have died with Christ, our life, our spiritual life, is hidden with Christ in God. Well, what does this mean? If we set our mind on the things above, we seek the things which are above, we have the realization inwardly, I am living with Christ in God. I am living in God. I may be in this traffic jam in the L.A. freeway system. I am here with everybody else. But I'm not only here. I am in God. I'm in God. I've had experiences just like you. You're being in the left turn lane waiting for the turn arrow to go green. And you counted. There are seven cars ahead of you. You're aware of how long the green arrow will be on. And you're hoping the reflexes of the cars ahead of you <laughs> approximate normal so that you might make it legally. But then you see this one's distracted, this one's slow, and the arrow turns red, blazing red, just before you get there. And now you know it will be three minutes. You've been here hundreds of times. Three minutes before you can go. Okay. I have spent these three minutes in two different ways. <laughs> the first way is just to be bothered, to be unhappy with the slowness of the other drivers. But eventually... I believe by the Lord's praying, by his word, instead of being bothered, I'm happy. Lord, thank you. I got three minutes to enjoy the divine transmission. I can't go anywhere for three minutes. I'm here like anybody else. Physically, I'm living in this realm. But the Lord knows my life is hidden with Christ in God. When we seek the things that are above and set our minds on them, this affects our spiritual life, our inner life, so that inwardly in our spirit we are above. We are in ascension. We are on the throne with him. We are experiencing a divine transmission. Hidden with Christ. And many of these experiences we just can't talk about. We're not allowed to talk about them. The saints do not need a story of our experience. They need the life that issues from our experience. 
They don't need long stories. They just need the outflow of life and grace. But look at the outcome of this, my brothers and sisters. When Christ, our life, is manifested. So Christ is our life. We're not only living with him. He himself is our life, corporately, our life. That's the church. Christ, our life. The church in Wycliffe. Christ, our life. Okay, this Christ, who is hidden in God, will be manifested. That means he will come again in glory. The whole earth will know there'll be no atheists anymore because the Lord will say, here I am. Here I am. And Paul says, when Christ our life is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. Don't you long for that? To be with the the overcomers when he returns. We know from John's gospel, when Christ came through incarnation, he was the only begotten son. But we know from Hebrews 1.6, that when he comes again, he will come as the firstborn son with many glorified sons with him. Who will be there manifested with him? Those who live in these four verses. They learn to have a life hidden with Christ in God. And they have such a life while they're living outwardly their practical human life on the earth, whatever it is. One verse that is summed up in many ways the last year of my life, the Song of Songs 8.6, love is as strong as death. Death is powerful. Love is as strong as death. Many waters cannot quench love, nor do floods drown it. So whether the experience is death and all that it entails, or whether it is love with the indescribable joy and happiness, no matter what is going on in the physical realm, at the same time, for this last year, as a member of the body, my real life was hidden with Christ in God. This is normal. So because we are in Christ, and because he ascended and sat down, and we are in him, Now we can seek the things which are above because they're all around us in this realm. So we can seek them. Then when we become aware of them, we concentrate on them. So let's just say we're in a situation or others are in the situation where they need Christ as the merciful and faithful high priest. And we realize 
and we help them to realize this priest is the God-man. Because he is human, he is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He's touched with them. He doesn't just know them, he's touched. He feels. Did he not say to Saul of Tarsus, why are you persecuting me? He felt that. Yet he's faithful because as God, he's able to do whatever is necessary. Or we may see another aspect. Well, he is the mediator of the new testament now he wants to show me i have so many bequests in the will and he wants to help me realize i'm an heir to all of this and one of the bequests is you have the right to enjoy the all-inclusive christ Amen. then at another time Perhaps when you're concerned about the world situation, the world economy, the government, the society, and you realize there's a man on the throne. The God-man rules. These are the things which are above. They are the anything pertaining to Christ in his heavenly ministry. So actually... Although the word says we're seeking things, we're actually seeking a person with what he is and what he's doing. And this person is becoming real to us. And we realize he is our life. Our real life is hidden with him. We don't seek any glory in this age. We're content to be ordinary humans, outwardly living an uneventful life, but inwardly, something is accumulating in our being. Because we're hidden with Christ in God, our life is hidden. Christ is our life. We are being permeated and saturated with the divine glory. And one day, when Christ is manifested, we'll be manifested with him. So these are the verses. Now we'll go through the outline. Uh, what time is it now? Just somebody let me know. Uh, okay, all right. And I'll be done before nine. And then uh, after later, I will seek for my watch. But right now, <laughs> I, it's okay. Well, actually, I will accept the help. Thank you. Okay. So now the outline will help solidify some of these points. And the outline is in two parts. The first is an unveiling of Christ in his heavenly ministry. And the second part is what we need to experience in order for these things to become real to us. So we quote verse 1. If therefore you were raised together with Christ, seek the things which are above. Keep where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. 
One reason we don't follow systematic theology because you can't systematize the divine revelation. Where is Christ according to Colossians? Well, according to 3.1, he's sitting at the right hand of God. According to 1.27, he's in you. So is Christ at the right hand of God or is he in you? You have to say yes. <laughs> he is in us as the spirit. The resurrected Christ has a body of flesh and bones. He ascended with such a glorified spiritual body with flesh and bones. He will return with such a body. But Christ is in you right now. Now tell me, do you have the feeling that a being with flesh and bones is moving around inside of you? Nobody does. But Christ is in you. How can he be in you? And where is he in you? Well, he's in your spirit, and he can be in you because he is the life-giving spirit. Amen. So we surely are balanced. We have a Christ who's in us. But we also have a Christ who is sitting at the right hand of God. And wow, do things get delightful when, when we see the connection between the Christ sitting there and the Christ dwelling here as one person. And this connection is what fills our life inwardly with meaning. A, in, Christ, in ascension, Christ is the one who is sitting at the right hand of God. Okay, that's a metaphor for the highest position in the universe. So in these days, we may be freshly impressed with a very simple expression. Lord Jesus. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord. When we say Lord, you're addressing the one at the right hand of God. Yet he's Jesus, your Savior. Your salvation. Yet he has all authority in heaven and on earth. B. God not only saved us from the position of death. But he also seated us with Christ in the highest place in the universe. You remember that little book? Sit, walk, stand. Brother Nee points out we begin with sitting. That's Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. We've been raised together with Christ and seated with him. So actually, you're not sitting on those chairs. And I'm not standing on this platform. In reality, we're sitting with Christ in the heavenlies, looking down on the Midwest. <laughs> and I like to look down on the Midwest in the broadest sense, including as much territory as possible, and say something to the Lord. Lord, the whole Midwest belongs to you, Amen. not to any person. Amen. And Lord, all the believers in the Midwest, they belong to you. Amen. Claim what is yours. Amen. 
recover what is yours. Don't you believe he's praying for this right now? Don't you think he wants to see lives restored, people recovered, wounds mended? Doesn't he want to nullify the work of the devil, change death into life? Remember the first time we were here? We sang that. The third day has dawned, the saints are going on, the glory of the Lord is coming out. All around us we can see signs of the recovery. Hallelujah, the third day has dawned. It's still the third day. So we, we view the situation not from the earth. This makes a huge difference. The enemy's in the air. We're in the heavens. We have the superior position. Let's destroy him. Amen. Let's deal with him. Amen. One, it, it was in Christ that God seated us all together once for all in the heavenlies. I know that our mind can't understand this. And we don't feel it. So don't try to feel like you're in heaven. What's going to happen? If you spend a particular amount of time in your spirit and you pray read Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, you will have the sense you are in the heavenlies. Because this is how God views us. This was accomplished when Christ ascended to the heavens. And it has been applied to us by the Spirit of Christ ever since we believed in him. But because we weren't aware of this, because many of us didn't know we had a spirit, because those of us who knew we had a spirit weren't in the spirit that much yet, but it's a fact, this transmission is taking place all the time. I used to wonder, especially when Brother Lee ministered. This was his favorite life study, was the life study of Hebrews. When he would talk about pump, 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 he was so energized. Pump, 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 pump. He's saying it's the pump, pump, pump. And I asked myself and I asked the Lord, what does he mean by pump, 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 pump? And years went by and now I understand a little bit what he means by pump, pump, pump. He means pump, pump, pump. <laughs> the energizing in the divine transmission. In a very real sense, I do not fear getting older. The older I get, the more transmission I experience. Amen. We have less trust in ourselves, in our natural strength, than pump, 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 pump. The Lord cover us. I'm speaking generally. Don't give up. And some of us older brothers, let me tell you, we're just getting going into high gear. This is a pump, pump, pump. A pump, pump, pump. That's a reality. See, the things which are above are the things which are in the heavens. In contrast, to the things which are on the earth. So on the earth is all kinds of protests, 
reactions, opinions about this and that. I just don't, I just don't want to watch it. I'll just check the news on my iPad for about three minutes. That's enough. I don't need to say anything. Okay, this is going on in Korea. Okay, Lord, what are you doing in the heavens regarding North Korea? Because we on the earth are joining your prayer in the heavens to open up North Korea to the gospel of the kingdom and to do something this year. Maybe we're wrong on the time. We'll see. So, if the Lord intends to do that, I don't have an opinion. Oh, should the this big aircraft carrier be there? Should the president do this and that? Lord, what do you want to do about North Korea? Amen. About that evil regime? You're the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Deal with the Kim dynasty. Amen. Establish your kingdom in North Korea. Amen. What a realm to live in. The world will never know what is really going on. But we are in another realm. We're living our ordinary life. We come together for an hour as a church and we pray and we affect the world situation. Amen. This is for real. Amen. D, in order to seek the things which are above, we must be where these things are. So it's hard to seek them. If you're way down here. That's why we need to see from the first verses we read. That we are with Christ. Seated at the right hand of God. So we're in this realm. Spiritually. And so we just have to look around. We're surrounded. By this wonderful Christ. And all of his activity. And one of the things that's taking place here is disclosed in Revelation 5. There is a lot of praise, tremendous praise going up. I believe the more we touch this realm, the more we'll, we will have praise. As we've never known it before. So we have one position with Christ in his ascension. Don't try to feel this. It's not in the realm of feeling. Don't try to think it through. It's not in the realm of reason. But in the spirit, the spirit of reality will make this real to us. E, according to the New Testament, the things which are above include Christ's ascension, his enthronement, and his being made the head, the Lord, and the Christ. So when the Lord ascended openly, when he entered into that realm, there was an enthronement ceremony. And a man, the God-man Jesus, was enthroned as the king of the universe. Amen. Your life changes when you realize this. Our faith will still be tried when we go through hard things in our situation. It'll still be tried. But deep within, we'll realize. I do not live in a meaningless, absurd universe. There is a throne. 
And I may not understand what's going on right now. And I may not even be getting answers to my prayers. Some of us know what it is to pray about something for decades. No answer. No action. But if we have a glimpse of the one on the throne, we will stand before the Lord and before the enemy and say, God, the Lord on the throne is righteous. If he hears me, he's righteous. If he doesn't hear me, he's righteous. If he answers, he's righteous. If he doesn't answer, he's righteous. If he does something or doesn't something, he is righteous. I vindicate him before the whole universe. Enemy, stop slandering God. Ungodly, stop blaspheming him. God is righteous. God is faithful. God is glorious. God is holy. God is true. God is living. God is loving. God is glorious. And the God-man Jesus rules. I may not understand the way he does things, but my faith does not rest upon what I understand. It's based upon a vision with faith transfused into me where you just realize there's more than just this physical universe. There's another realm. There's a throne. And there's a man on the throne. And I'm seeking him. In our prayers, we seek him. Son of man on the throne, what do you will in this situation? What is the desire of your heart in this situation? Here I am on the earth. I have only one prayer. That whatever is in your heart, whatever your will is, you do that. You do that on the earth. You do it in your way. You do it in your time. You are the Lord. You know what you're doing. I don't want to live in any other way. This is to seek the things which are above, to set our mind on them, to respond to them, to reflect them, to correspond to them, to coordinate with them. Little by little, we'll do this together. It's hard to learn this alone, but we will experience this together. One under E. Acts 2.36 says that God has made Jesus in his ascension both Lord and Christ. He was made the Lord of all to possess all, and he was made Christ, God's anointed one, to carry out God's commission. In ascension, Christ been, has been made the head over all things to the church. So he's not only the head over all things, including the U.S. government, including Vladimir Putin, including what's going on in Syria and Iran or any other place. He's the head over all these things to the church. That points to a transmission so that the church may coordinate with him. To the church implies a kind of transmission. Whatever Christ the head has attained and obtained is transmitted to the church, his body. In this transmission, the church shares with Christ in all his attainments, the resurrection from the dead, 
is being seated in his transcendency, the subjection of all things under his feet, and the headship over all things. Then we summarize by saying, point three, to seek the things which are above is to respond to and reflect Christ's activities in his heavenly ministry. So maybe you are waiting at the red arrow for three minutes. Maybe you're a very busy pneumatic mom trying to get dinner ready or trying to marriage, manage three children all seven years and under. And that's hectic and that's tiring. But yet, somehow, you're in your spirit. And you just have this sense to pray for this person. Haven't many of you had this kind of experience? Many of us have. That's the transmission. That means a lot. You may not even know what to pray. You just name that person before the Lord. The head knows what that person is going through. What that person's situation is. The Lord just longs to see, and we long to see a situation where at any time on the earth, we're in different time zones, which makes this quite workable. The Lord can transmit what he's doing into some members of the body, and they will respond. They may respond by praying, by sending a text, by making a call, by visiting someone, whatever it is. This will be the reality of the body. The Lord is on the throne and he realizes, I have a way to do on the earth whatever's in my heart, whatever my will is, whatever I want to do. I have those corresponding to me, reflecting me, one with me. In ministering on this, in the life study of Colossians, Brother Lee said, the Lord has been waiting centuries for an adequate response. Centuries. Let's end the Lord's waiting. Amen. Let's just advance together and learn together to respond to him. Amen. That there'll never be a delay. There'll never be a hindrance. Just like in our body. Your body responds immediately to the directions given from the central nervous system and from the person living there. There's no delay. Otherwise, your body's abnormal. We just want the Lord to have such a body on the earth. Because when he has this body, when he comes back, that body will be presented to him as the bride. And that's what we're waiting for. Okay, now we come to a section concerning our spirit. And the first part we can all relate to. The second part might take a little time, but that's okay. Okay? If part B isn't in your spiritual universe right now, just be at peace. It will be. We're going to prophesy. It will be. In order to seek the things which are above and to set our mind on them, we need to turn to our spirit and experience the dividing of the soul from the spirit. So the turning to the spirit part is something we can all do 
at any time we want to. Do you realize this? You can be in the spirit anytime you choose to. So we're all the same. I'm the same as you. Sometimes we just don't want to just yet. We want to continue the argument or continue the thought or whatever it is. But eventually the Lord wins out and we turn to the spirit. Only when we are in our spirit are we in heaven. Yeah, I leave that to you and the Lord. You may want to offer a little prayer. Lord, please give me the experience of being in heaven by being in the spirit. This will happen. I don't know if it will happen this weekend. It might. It might even happen in the meeting. If it does, I welcome your interrupting the message and saying, Brother, stop for a moment. Praise the Lord. I'm in heaven. <laughs> I would say, Sister, me too. These are not vain words. These are realities. We are in heaven and mind the things which are above. When we are outside the spirit, we are earthly and mind the things which are on the earth. And the enemy likes to do this, to set our mind on the things. He tells us to look at yourself. When he tells me that, I refuse. No, you tell me to look at myself, no, I give you a command. You look at Jesus on the throne. Amen. That's where you want him to be. That's where he is. Amen. You tell me to look on something on the earth, I will tell you to look at heaven. If you don't like it, then get out of here. We're not a doormat for you. We're here to express God and represent God with his authority. Amen. We're going to learn to do this. But when we're just out of the spirit, there's only the earthly realm. Nothing else is real. And any words you hear about this other realm, they're not real to you. But in the spirit, the spirit of reality makes everything real. The way to seek the things which are above is to turn to our spirit and call on the name of the Lord. Amen. The truth in the Lord's recovery from the word is deep and profound. But the life practice is simple. We all have to breathe, we drink, we eat, we pray, read, we call on the Lord. The practice is very simple. Turn to the spirit and call Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. There is a transmission taking place from Christ in heaven to us on earth by means of the all-inclusive spirit in our spirit. It's happening right now. See, right now. Spirit to spirit. So the all-inclusive spirit is the transmitting agent. The throne decides. Christ as the spirit transmits. Our spirit receives. Eventually, our heart is affected. Our mind will have some spiritual understanding. We'll be trained in this way. The Lord wants us to be living in this realm, a life hidden with Christ and God, while we're living our ordinary human life. We're learning. I know what it's like to be in an MRI chamber for 70 minutes, 
under the command, don't move, especially when you hear the sound. Don't move. You can hardly breathe. Your nose is about two inches away from the top of the thing. But little did the, te technici the te technician realize, I'm not only in this MRI chamber, I'm in God. Amen. I'm in another realm, at least when I'm in the spirit. If I'm in myself when the r red arrow comes, I'm just like all the unbelievers surrounding me. When I'm in the spirit, I spend three minutes in another realm. Amen. We're all the same. We're all learning this. Same thing with express lines in a store, right? <laughs> Have you ever counted the items in someone else's basket? <laughs> the sign says 15 items. You count 19 items. <laughs> and you get up to the clerk. You may say nothing, or you might say something like, it might really be good if you enforced the sign. <laughs> but what really got me was I'm there, righteous as can be, man, 15 items, and the guy behind me is counting my items. <clears throat> and I felt like turning to him and saying, you think I'm a crook? What are you doing? All these little things our opportunities. The Lord enlightened me one day. I have wasted thousands of little opportunities. I don't want to waste more opportunities. Little teeny opportunities to contact the ascended Christ. But we're learning. He's for us. He's for Barry. Our, our spirit, this little a, is the receiving end of the divine transmission. Whereas the throne of God in heaven is the transmitting end. By turning to our spirit, we are lifted into heaven. Because of the transmission from the throne of God in heaven into our spirit, when we experience and enjoy Christ here on earth, we are simultaneously in heaven. We are living in two realms at once. We're not schizophrenic. We don't have multiple personality disorder. We are in two realms at once. Outwardly, we're in this physical realm. Inwardly, we're in this divine and mystical realm. In spirit, we are in one position with Christ, seeking the things which are above. <clears throat> so section A is something any of us can experience at any time we remember and set our will to do it. But eventually, we all need what's in section B. We need to experience the dividing of the soul from the spirit. Okay, here's our situation in the five minutes or so remaining. Our body is like a sphere, and our soul is like a sphere inside. And the spirit is like another sphere inside, concentric spheres. So our spirit is surrounded by our soul. That's just a fact. Spirit is the deepest part. It's surrounded by the soul. The soul 
joins both the spirit and the body and is affected by both. In our practical human life, we must use the faculties of our soul. You're doing your job. You're a student. Whatever it is, you have to use your mind, emotion, and will. That's not yourself. That's the faculties of your soul. So let's say you go to work. You want to be in the Lord's presence. But you have to concentrate on what you're doing. Then you realize when it's lunchtime, four and a half hours later, you had no thought of God for four and a half hours and you feel bad about it. Now it's at lunchtime. So you can use the faculties of your soul to read the morning revival, if you missed it sometimes. Am I the only one who misses early morning sometimes? So you have midday revival, or whatever you can revival, okay? And now your spirit can go along with your soul. Then you go back to work for the next five hours. There's no God. And you wonder, what's wrong with me? Well, there's really not anything wrong with you. We're all the same. It's just your spirit is buried in your soul, and you have to use your soul. So your spirit cannot function. But when your soul and spirit are separated, when you use your mind, emotion, and will to do what you need to do, your spirit is free to be in contact with the Lord at the same time. You don't have to come back to the Lord at lunch because you never left him. Because you're in two realms at once. Brother Lee had a meeting that was open for questions, so I asked him. I was a teacher in a very challenging high school. By challenging, I mean like one day, 50 police officers had to come on campus to restore order. That kind of challenging. Didn't happen every day, but the underlying situation was there every day. I said, Brother Lee, how can I be in the spirit when I'm teaching these kids in this situation? This was way back in 1968, where he had just brought forth the four words, O Lord, Amen. Hallelujah. So he said, outwardly you're teaching. Inwardly, it's, O Lord, amen, hallelujah. That's what he said. But what the Spirit shined in me was this, was this, Ron. You need the dividing of your soul from your spirit. When Brother Lee said outwardly and inwardly, he knew outwardly you're teaching. But inwardly, your spirit is free to function. So we're all going to be in this situation. Don't beat yourself up. Just understand where you are. But one day, the Lord will use the word sharper than in the two-edged sword, probably along with a certain circumstance, and he will separate your soul from your spirit. And you will begin to realize something. I can live 
And I do live in two realms at the same time. And it's when this happens that we can be continually receiving the transmission. Otherwise, the transmission is coming, but we can't sense it. So that's why Hebrews 4, in the book that emphasizes Christ's heavenly ministry, brings us to this point of the dividing of soul and spirit. So I believe the Lord would just seek from you a willingness to experience this at the time he wants to do it. Until then, don't worry about it. Don't send me an email saying, Brother Ron, is my soul and spirit, have they been divided? If you ask the question, the answer is no. <laughs> if they have been divided, you don't send the email. right? <laughs> but if you send it, I'll do my best to take care of you. And then pray with my companion that you'll really have this experience. It's not something to be feared. It's a great release to be able to be in two realms at the same time. Nothing could be more home, normal. So if the arrow is red, if the arrow is green, I'll tell you in a very real sense, nothing outward matters. So one year I was set to go to India for a conference. Instead, something happened. I got sick. I fainted at home. I was unconscious for 10 or 15 minutes. 911 called. They took me to the hospital. I realized now I'm in a quarantined room. Everyone has to wear gowns, masks, gloves. Nothing can be allowed to escape. I can testify. It didn't matter. Let everything go. Whether I'm in India, whether I'm on a plane, whether I'm at the Thanksgiving conference, or whether I'm here, it's all the same. Because inwardly, I'm in the, this wonderful realm with the Lord. So let me read this, and then we'll stop. And we'll have about a minute of prayer with someone nearby, if you're inclined. Then the brothers will direct us, I hope, on how to prophesy. One, the soul and the spirit can be divided because they are two entities and are of two kinds of substances. Regardless of how hidden our spirit is within our soul, still they are two distinct organs. Thus we need to experience the dividing of our soul from our spirit. The spirit is so hidden in the soul that it needs to be divided from the soul by the living and operative word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. By experiencing the dividing of our soul from our spirit and by exercising our spirit, we can seek the things which are above and set our mind on them. Amen. Then the riches of Christ's heavenly ministry will be transmitted into us and we will be transformed and constituted with Christ. And we'll see, starting tomorrow morning, we will live a church life under the heavenly ministry of the ascended Christ. So please pray, if you're so inclined, then we'll have some time of sharing.